0: Hey, Attached listeners, before we jump into today's episode, we have an exciting new development that we want to tell you about. So, we know all of you have really, really wanted attached merch. You want a sticker, you want a mug, you know you need something like that. And you also want us to continue to create great contact. Well, we are excited to announce the launching of the Attached Podcast Patreon page. Now, if you're not familiar with Patreon, as I was explaining it to Patricia, it's kind of like NPR. If you appreciate the content you get, it become a patron and subscribe to our podcast. And if you do that in the next two weeks, we'll give you a free sticker or a free mug. So check it out. Patreon.com slash Attached Podcast.
1: Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about these relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships, debunk all that bad relationship advice using science. Science. (laughs) I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University
0: of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa.
2: And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods out of UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. Today, Jacob will bring us something
1: interesting, I'm sure, for pop and culture. Then, in the academic deep dive segment, we're going to discuss the academic article, Social and Emotional Loneliness, Longitudinal Stability, Interdependence, and Intergenerational Transmission Among Boys and Girls and in good or bad advice we are going to talk about some advice requested by a listener about how to connect with family members who live long distance isn't this so relevant to so many of us these days Mm -hmm. if you have advice that you'd like us to talk about please send it in you can leave us a message at 865-229-6775 email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com Get at us on the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Attached Podcast, or you can go to our website, AttachedPodcast.com, and send us a message from there. But before we get to all of our wonderful content for today, how is everybody doing?
0: So Iowa is having the best march that it ever has had since I've been here for the last seven marches. It is gorgeous (laughs) right now.
1: Do you, are you worried you're speaking too soon
0: uh I'm, i am i yeah kind of i'm actually worried that what march is going to come and bite me in the ass but um, wow
1: you look so aggressive that was, was a quick turn there uh
0: but you know one of the fun things we did in iowa this past weekend tell us so i may have told you that like we get together with a group of people to watch the bachelor oh you may Monday have night. you may have, have may have you mentioned you
1: watch the bachelor
0: shocking i do well pizza hut has been doing some serious advertising during the middle of the bachelor i don't know if y'all have seen the new like pizza hut where the mozzarella sticks are like connected to the crust oh
1: dear also just for all of our listeners (laughs) uh, pizza hut is not a sponsor but if you'd like to become a sponsor get at us (laughs) right sure attach podcast at gmail.com
0: uh Chelsea, um, that has been something that as she's seen that more and more, she's like, I gotta try that. Yes. I gotta That's try that. That's the baby talking. So, this past Friday, this past Friday, we actually went over to our friend Liz and Michael's house. Yes. We ordered that pizza and we watched the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, it was my goodness. It was an amazing oh 90s gosh. night. That does
1: sound amazing. Um,
0: that movie has aged so well, by the way. If you haven't seen Teenage really? Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original you need to go watch it it made me very happy okay um i was on the fence about the mozzarella cheese sticks on the crust chelsea was def- definitely oh my all gosh. Board. so take that recommendation for what you <laughs> i know. love
2: it i do feel like pizza hut was like a real 90s food though like that was um oh. you remember they did that didn't wasn't it them that you had to read like 50 books to get Book yeah, yeah 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 to yeah. so get like little yeah. personal pants and, got yeah, free yeah, yeah, yeah. Pizza? and when like the movies came mm. out they'd have all these like crazy big like rubber yeah. hand puppets and stuff oh my gosh i do remember yes. I don't know if kid, do kids no. have that today i don't I think, know
1: i don't know what pizza hut is is doing in advertisement these days but i know what they
2: can do <laughs>
0: you gotta watch the back <laughs> right, right. we're
2: right. watching the wrong television. Uh, We've also been doing a little bit of a 90s flashback here. And I mean, um, not here in my house, my uh, friends virtually um, in the last few days have been recovering old photo albums. And we've been sending pictures from, um, yes, from like pre-adolescence, the pictures that you hope you grow up and nobody ever sees. And a lot of them I have no memory of. And I had to suggest, like, I think I need to call my therapist because there are some like really, really terrifying Photos. Um and stuff that because there wasn't there weren't digital pictures, it was film, right? So every picture that you took, like you really, really had to hope they came out came out good. And um whether yeah. or not they did, you still put them in your photo album, like physical photo albums. Um, but I've been really enjoying how I like as a kid in middle school would like oh caption my gosh, these pictures. Share. Like just Like a like a grandmother, and suggest um, there was one that we looked at yesterday that I put like, oh, Kelly visits. It's a picture of her in my room. Like she lived five doors down from me, but I wrote these (laughs) captions like she lived across the country. um uh, they are amazing. they're so and this is like a visual format, right? A podcast, Uh, or else I no, actually, I probably wouldn't share these. If you want Sarah Um, to share them, but they are great. That's right. That's right. Actually, if you'd like Sarah to share them, join Patreon for $6. Oh, <laughs>
0: and, <yes>. uh <laughs> I'm going to add that in there, a, Sarah. We will a get bonus. a special picture a for that's Patreon. Right. <laughs>
2: you get a mug, a sticker, and <laughs> a picture of me at 13. And it is terrifying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to subscribe yeah, to right. us right, just for that. Right.
2: Oh, it's so bad. The bangs, like the bangs alone, they probably would, I imagine they look like what the mozzarella sticks <laughs> on the crust look like. Just like real heavy and across the forehead, just really blunt. Most of my hair was in front of my face, so.
0: That's amazing. So I have
2: something to share with you guys. Terrifying. I think Jacob
1: might lose Ooh. his mind. So Jacob, are you sitting down?
0: Uh-oh. Uh, yes, I'm sitting down, but I'm kind of like bouncing. <laughs> Last
1: night. I did something incredible. I attended a silent disco. Do you know what this is, Jacob and Sarah? Yes, I do know what this is. So this is where you basically rent headphones and there's this ongoing playlist. And if you want to dance, you just put the headphones on and you can dance wild and crazy. But if you want to talk to people, you don't have to. But the great thing about it there they're like three different stations and you know which station you're on because your headphones light up. Yes. So if you see somebody dancing amazingly and you look at their headphones, you can change it to that station and dance to whatever you want to. It was spectacular. Wow. I mean, full bone yes. dancing. There was a disco ball. It was one of the most fun experiences I've had in such a long time. I highly recommend everybody do it or put one on. These are like headphones that you can rent. So it was like $10 a person and there were probably like 30 people there. So it was just like a party you can have and you don't have to get a DJ. It was so amazing. My legs hurt. I danced that hard last night. That That is so cool. Jacob, I feel like also we have to do this. Like- Somehow, oh, right? Like I feel like together. we have to do this for like an um, academic conference. I feel like academics would love it. Oh,
2: also, uh, Woods, I did not. Yeah, no, I did not no. get the invitation
1: <laughs> for that. Also, Woods, you can do it. I just, I just know how sure. much Jacob loves to dance.
2: Sure, sure.
0: Uh, Woods, before we knew you, which just seems like <laughs> that time doesn't exist, uh, Patricia and I went to a national council on family relations conference. And nice. we owned the nice. dance floor. There, we were probably the only two people on there. But people just started looking or like coming around us and just like looking at I us. I think the actually, is that the, like people
1: started amazing. asking if we were high or drunk, and we were
0: completely sober. Oh, both of us, a <laughs> hundred. Is that the sober. same
2: conference where she wore her Virginia Satir costume that I've heard about? <laughs> is that a different uh, conference? Uh, different, different conference. That was
0: a different, different. Conference. I
1: really make a name for myself at conference. Uh, <laughs> uh
0: listeners google virginia Sotir and then find a picture of patricia on our patreon page and you'll uh you'll see how those two can really yeah really connect
1: a hundred percent first up poppin culture we learn about relationships from our friends and family but a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture So for this first segment, we like to take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships for the good or for the bad. So Jacob, what do you have for us this week?
0: I have been so excited and just waiting to talk about the new Netflix (laughs) reality television show, Love is Blind. Have either of you all heard of this? I have
1: heard of it. No idea what the premise is. Yes.
0: Okay, so the premise of Love is Blind is that they get 15 men and 15 women, and they kind of have them live in this this area where all the men are living together, all the women living together. And in the middle of this area are pods. In other words, they are two rooms that are connected by a glass, a beveled glass wall that you can't see the other beveled. person. Beveled,
1: that's a good word. And so
0: what they do... The first, the first week or so, two weeks or so, all these people do is get up, eat breakfast, and go in and have dates in these pods. Where they have conversation and drink wine or other cocktails um, with these people that they've never seen um, and, and who they can't see. And so after these two weeks or before that ends, if they actually want to meet the person, they have to get engaged. So in the, um, so after you know, they've talked to this person over the course of two weeks, they have to propose to them. And once they propose to them, they can actually meet face-to-face. And then after they meet face-to-face, they take all the couples that are engaged and they ship them off to Mexico where they can actually live with each other. As for one does. As one does. And then they come back because they're all from the Atlanta area. And they move into special apartments with their now their fiance, and then they have four weeks where within which they get married or decide not to get married. So, just a heads up, there's going to be a couple of spoilers, but so if you haven't listened all the way, jump about five minutes yeah. ahead and you'll be okay. But the first thing. Uh, I want to talk about, so I think there's like three things I want to talk about. This might get a little bit long-winded, so cut me off if I start drowning on, because I'm obsessed really <laughs> with love is blind. First off is the whole idea that love is blind, mm-hmm. right? That is some advice we hear over and over, and I think it kind of conflates love with maybe infatuation. Oh, interesting. If you're thinking about this idea that you can have strong emotional connections to someone without having met them, I think that's t- totally real, right? But is that really the concept we wanna ascribe love to, right? Is that the concept that we wanna say, well, love is these really strong, intense emotional feelings. I think that can be in a part of it and an important part of it, but it's definitely not. Right, it
1: sounds like you're saying it's kind of like more, those super strong feelings are more like infatuation. Okay.
0: Yeah, especially after two weeks of knowing somebody, right? I think, you know, so it kind of reminds me of the Sternberg love triangle, which really has three components. It's those passion, intense emotional feelings, but also this sense of intimacy or liking or that kind of connective piece that isn't just about sex, attraction, that kind of stuff. And then also this idea of commitment. So Sternberg argues that all three of those components are what make up love and combinations of those can be different. So that's the first thing I think you can take away. The second thing I think is this show hyper-focus on this concept of marriage yes. as an end
2: point. Ah, yeah.
0: Right? This idea that, you know, we say we are dating, that dating is a process that leads to an outcome and if it works well, that outcome is marriage. And I think this show points to the fact that marriage really isn't an outcome. It's an ex- a continuation of the process. It can be a marker in time where it potentially redefines the the... Yeah definition or boundary or structure of your relationship, but it's not an outcome. And talking about that like that, I think is really problematic. I like
1: that a lot, Jacob. It's it's more of just a time point on the continuum of your relationship trajectory.
0: Yeah. Right. But everybody in the show talks to marriage like, okay, if we decide to get married, then that means that our lives are fundamentally changed. And maybe the problems that we had before are not going to be there Mm -hmm. anymore. And also this this arbitrary timeline we tend to put on relationships i think is hyper Mm. present in this show as well right they have four weeks to decide whether or not to get married and to a certain extent i think our culture in particular has those expectations like oh well you all have been dating are when are you going to move in together and oh well you've lived together when are you going to get engaged oh well you've been engaged now why aren't you married oh, you're married now, why don't you have kids, right? These arbitrary timelines that we create for ourselves put a lot of pressure on the process that I don't think is always a good thing. Um, And finally, this is where the spoilers come in. I want to talk about one couple in particular and kind of get back to this idea of passion and infatuation. Um, So Damon and Giannina, so Damon and G, as they call them, have the most passionate angry mm. reactive all over the map type of relationship volatile. Um, and so as you're watching this unfold yes volatile is a good word for it as you're watching it unfold um you're like why would these people ever want to be together or get married in the last episode of the season they show their the weddings of these people G says, yes, I'm going to marry you. And Damon's like, no, I can't marry you. It's been way too crazy and volatile. And so then, of course, more crazy and volatileness pursuit ensues, right? What is fascinating is they do a follow-up that's a one-year-later follow-up with the couples. And though they're not married, Damon and Giannina are still dating and are still, as they say, passionately in love with each other. And I think the problem that this demonstrates is that people conflate this idea that if we really have a lot of love for each other, right. it's gonna be volatile and crazy and passionate and hot and cold all the time. And that's a marker of a really great passionate love story where I think in effect, it's really just right. a damaging one. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that type of intensity being able to it's persist just... across a long, amount, uh, a long amount of time, right? they're viewing this version of marriage as, oh, it should be forever. And we've talked about this on this podcast too, but that level of intensity isn't going to make for an environment where growth of individuals can happen or where constructive communication, problem-solving understanding can flourish because really they just say some really mean things to them. So to kind of put a summary and all that first watch because it's a lot of fun and it's just like unfolds a lot of things. Second, don't buy into that assumption that love is blind. I mean, I didn't even touch about on this, but love is affected by like cultural norms and stereotypes, all of that kind of stuff. And finally, intensity, passion, volatility isn't necessarily a marker of a good, strong relationship that might be one that persists across time.
1: Excellent. Well, it will be on my docket. <laughs> no, don't, don't lie to the <laughs> listeners. I will, I will hover my mouse over it.
0: Oh, um, I can just say, because I talk about reality television in the classes I'm teaching. And in the undergrad class I'm teaching this semester, one of the students came up to me. and He's like, my girlfriend loves reality television, and I never gave it a chance. And I just started watching Love is Blind with her because you were talking about it in class. <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Thank you. Amazing sharing that knowledge with the world
1: one podcast and one class at a time you're doing your part jacob to make the world a better place by getting people to watch reality tv
0: oh my gosh i love it (laughs)
2: that's
1: gonna be my life legacy now we are going to move to our academic deep dive segment and talk about an article titled social and emotional loneliness longitudinal stability interdependence and intergenerational transmission among boys and girls recently published by annalina salo nina gentilla and marja varas from finnish university the university of turku published in the journal of family relations this study explored associations between specific kinds of loneliness for boys and girls, and their parents' loneliness as well. This is particularly fascinating for me because genuinely I didn't know that there were different types of loneliness. So we'll get into that in a little bit later.
0: Me neither. I thought Um, that was cool.
1: But like I said, before we break down this specific research, what we do know about loneliness and why is it important? Well, we know that kids who grow up in social isolated families may be more likely to become lonely. And peer relationships, which are super important for kids, naturally change as kids develop. And these changes that occur in friendships can also contribute to children feeling lonely. Loneliness also begets loneliness. Because people who are alone tend to believe they're left out because of their own internal characteristics, who they are as people, rather than circumstantial factors, they then tend to further isolate and avoid social situations that make them more alone and lonely we also know that from earlier research there are two kinds of loneliness that don't necessarily co-occur so that means they don't uh, aren't lumped together specifically researchers have identified social loneliness which is a person's longing for a social network they don't have or don't have access to Two, this type of loneliness may be linked to less access to resources like financial support, which could create additional stress, for example. And the second type of loneliness, emotional loneliness, which is when we long for an intimate, close, emotional attachment that is absent. Emotional loneliness is uniquely correlated with emotional problems like worse self-esteem and withdrawal behaviors. But we don't know exactly how these two dimensions of loneliness accumulate or affect one over time and these authors suggest we don't know how loneliness may transmit over generations so from parent to child there seems to be a tendency for loneliness to occur within a family in other words lonely parents or parents who struggle with interpersonal relationships may model or teach some of that social behavior that contribute to loneliness So, these researchers suggest that gender specific parenting may uniquely convey loneliness from parents to boys versus girls. I also think this research is particularly timely and poignant because we've seen a lot in the media about this loneliness Mm -hmm. epidemic that's going on. So, Mm -hmm. Sarah, how did this study end up looking at parents and kids' social and emotional loneliness?
2: yeah, so um what you just described, Patricia, is they were going to focus on looking at this in two different ways. First, to look at how what these trajectories of loneliness for these young uh, boys and girls look like over time, and then whether moms and dad's loneliness similarly affected their sons and their daughters. And so they did that first by pulling a sample from fifteen different elementary schools. From one regional area, so one city and like the surrounding rural settings, and they estimated that the prevalence of loneliness in the area, they already knew to be about 8.6%. And so across these elementary schools, they had a sample of 318 students, which was about half and half, girls and boys. Um, and they so a pretty at decent in,
1: sample size I mean some yeah, bigger sample size yeah. of students but what's particularly nice mm-hmm. is that they had about half and half usually in sample yep. sizes you have more female than than male unless it's like they mm-hmm. particularly go after that so it's nice that they have a kind of a mm-hmm. half and half
2: well and I think capturing all of these different areas in this one region from these different schools also meant that their sample is a little more economically diverse yeah. and they had um, so they started with these students but they actually it's family level data so um, it's not just three hundred 18 participants it's just the students and they start at baseline they're about age 10 or 11 so in fourth grade and they surveyed their moms um, who were on average 40 years old and dads who are on average 42 Um, now not all of these students lived in nuclear or two-parent families um, but 78 percent of them did and then another 11 percent lived in some sort of blended family with step parents and 11% in single-parent families, which was mostly moms. And these kids had an average of 1.3 siblings, so one whole child and a third of another. (laughs) Um, And uh, so the children, the students, rated their loneliness during a school lesson and then they did it again each of the four following semesters, which was a total of five times over two and a half years. And what I really was impressed by is 89% of these kids had no missing data. Wow. So most of these kids had um, valid responses at each one of these time points, which was really amazing. It was really amazing. Um, so was it the potentially- same
1: loneliness measure over, over time?
2: hmm okay, yes that's yep nice. so they use a different loneliness measure for the kids than the parents which oh. is developmentally appropriate right. um but yes they did the same one over time and um the parents answered their loneliness survey just at baseline so that they could they could track the connections between parents reports of their social emotional loneliness and the kids reports over these uh, these two and a half years so um the and that measure that you just asked about patricia for the children focused on those two kinds of loneliness. So the lack of involvement in a social network, but also that um, absence of close dyadic friendships. So they would answer items they had two uh, endpoints, two descriptors rather like some students feel like they really fit in with others but some students don't feel like they fit in and then the child would pick which one they felt was most like them and then answer how much they felt it was like them to get their score which i thought was a really interesting um, measure oh, yeah. technique i hadn't heard about before so what they found was that Boys and dads rated emotional loneliness higher than girls and moms. So they felt more of an absence of that close connection with one other person um, feeling really supported or connected to within the dyads, within like um, uh, close friendships. And girls reported more social loneliness, but that was by the end of the study. That difference didn't show up until they were a little bit older. So it, it might be kind of timed with that pre-adolescence development and movement towards larger peer groups. Um, so, And then this was not a focus of their study, but I thought was interesting. Kids with siblings had less emotional loneliness than only children, which makes sense if you have some of this um, support network embedded maybe in your family. There was no difference in social or emotional loneliness for single versus partnered moms. And for single versus partnered moms, there was no difference on their children's long-term social or emotional loneliness. So um, the effects of family structure was not something that they found in this study. Oh, interesting. They... Yeah, yeah. I did think that that, um, that also interesting that siblings might make more of a difference than kind of what your parental structure looks like. So regarding the question about how, what does this look like over time for yeah. kids, they found that students' ratings of their social loneliness and their emotional loneliness was stable over time. Oh. So if they felt socially lonely at baseline – they were also significantly likely to feel socially lonely over the course of each of these uh, waves over two and a half years. And same for emotional loneliness. But those ratings were independent of one another. So just because they felt emotionally lonely, oh, um, it didn't predict that later they would actually be more likely to be alone or without a social network. And re- uh, in the reverse, feeling like they wanted other people to include them more in things um, specific to kind of their current social groups. Like, so when you didn't invite me to a silent disco, for example, um, it didn't. Nec- it won't necessarily predict how sad, how lonely I feel later in terms of maybe my other friendships. Um, I maybe have other people so who will invite me to talk about my feelings. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm just saying um, you can contribute to that over time. Um, So they they were not interdependent, uh, which is interesting. And then they looked at the second question they had about, is there this intergenerational transmission of loneliness from parents to kids? They found that, which I thought was really interesting, mom's ratings of their loneliness predicted long-term social loneliness of their daughters. Whereas father's loneliness predicted long-term social loneliness of their sons. So, there is some interesting gender pattern that happens there, though in their model, they didn't find any significant effects over time on emotional loneliness. Um, And so, some of their explanation for this is that um, kids may more easily model the social behaviors of their same gender parent. And if at that time in life, in adolescence, pre adolescence, uh, tweens, I don't, do we call them tweens anymore? they might okay. I, I, they might they might be science they might be more likely to science. engage with same gender peers right. it might be one reason why the same gender parents loneliness is associated with their social loneliness over time um but what i think is i mean what is then really unclear from the study is that even though boys report being more emotionally lonely and being being without these close uh, dyadic friendships, where they can talk about how they feel and connect through talking, etc. This study didn't really f- find anything that predicted that over time, other than how emotionally lonely I was the prior mm. report, right. um, which doesn't so really
1: th- help because you don't know what you can intervene
2: on, right? That's right. Like- yeah. Yep. So it would be important because they're they're pointing out the authors are pointing out all of the ways in which this emotional loneliness is linked to their emotional well-being overall and uh, but it doesn't it's there's not something that they could clearly link to the parents own feelings of loneliness so I think there's potentially a few takeaways here I think I mean you both suggested um, and I had the same feeling reading it uh, that I was not I was not aware that there were different ways that you could measure being lonely Uh, but it totally makes sense when you hear it that that, that those would be True. unique constructs, right? It's not enough that we measure or know how many, the quantity of how many friends that a person has, or the quantity of people in their social network. That doesn't tell me anything. I can be in a room full of 40 people and feel very lonely. Right. And it also isn't enough just to ask people, how lonely do you feel? Because their point is, you're not sure what that's capturing. That I could be involved in a lot of different uh sports sports activities that's not teams sports teams athletics obviously i was involved in a lot of athletics and that's right 13 year old things are so hard for athletics a lot of things that's that right. like involve like running and like bald and right. you know, stuff right right Right. And also, also the banks didn't matter for me as much because I did swim team. So you just put that gorgeous swim cap on and you immediately make a giant network of friends because you look super cool. Is there, um, is there scientific research to back that up? Yes. I'll, there's a lot of it. I just didn't oh, choose to oh, pull it out for today. Totally, absolutely <laughs> yeah, makes sense. <laughs> Um, so I think, I think when you're thinking about either research or school settings or the kids in your, in your own life, if you're a listener who has nieces, nephews, children, <laughs> neighbors, I don't, I don't know. It might be important to, <laughs> I said this didn't capture I'm not anything. I'm really sure if you should no. encourage neighbors
1: to randomly <laughs> engage with their kids. <laughs> uh, but. The
2: kids on the street. Hey, excuse me. Can I ask you how lonely you are? <laughs> Um, I mean, I think it could be interesting, though, to think about being more intentional in tracking how lonely kids are from both perspectives, right? Because you could have a kid who's really socially well-integrated and all those sports activities, but feel really emotionally lonely. And that might be especially true of boys who are more likely to spend more time in large friend groups – and less time in these one-on-one closer Mm -hmm. relationships. And because of these gendered social norms and their tendency uh, to be maybe taught to suppress emotions like feeling left out or feeling sad, especially by their fathers, um, who uh, research shows have more of a tendency to kind of try to squash or suppress or minimize um, feelings like sadness or withdrawing. Um, it might be something that boys are less, much less likely to share that they're feeling um, because it's not socially acceptable to say that they really want a close friend to talk with. And I think for parents who feel lonely, it could also be important and maybe really beneficial to think about where or how they can improve that in order to maybe protect their kids because right. some of that might be unintentionally transmitting and if part of what the researchers talked about here is that loneliness begets loneliness right that once i feel left out i believe that that is says something about who i am as a person and therefore i'm less likely to engage and i become more withdrawn and i'm more lonely and it kind of spirals and that transmits across generations that it could be really powerful to intervene with parents and for parents to find ways to feel more socially connected to benefit their children right, to model that behavior for their children yeah well yeah and um to kind of teach and show different ways about how we can reach out and connect in the community and find and try new new athletics and um, i think it also is a nice way to point out that whole families need social support so there are sometimes, like, school-based interventions for, like, promoting social relationships and decreasing bullying and improving social-emotional learning, et cetera. But without involving parents, you could be missing a big part of that picture that determines how kids feel connected as they as they grow older. Mm, that's beautiful. I agree. Mm-hmm. Don't forget the parents. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And also, there were other kids' activities other than athletics, just to shout <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, there are sure. art classes, there's uh, more parks. Art. Parks, music, parks. <laughs> not... parks.
2: I don't know. I mean, if you're lone if you're a lonely parent and you're not sure right. what to do, yeah. you can just Sorry. show up to a public space and uh, connect with whoever's already I was there. Is of that like
1: a national park out in the woods alone? <laughs> oh. and I was like, you can tell I live in the country, right? I'm like, I don't think a park is going to be beneficial. But you're right. You can just in a get city where you live. There are parks where right. many people are. No fair, fair point. See perspective. We could all. just
2: get like color coded headphones, and you and. Your kid could connect with your neighbors around silent dance parties. That, I mean, I think that whatever. would definitely
1: improve sure. communication. You could watch
2: Love is Blind with people in your neighborhood, that, whatever works. Yeah. I mean, we're not <laughs> suggesting that, but yeah.
0: I really appreciate this paper, Woods. I'm glad you found it. One of the things that I think you talked about that I thought was really interesting is thinking of loneliness as this multifaceted construct i always just tended to think about loneliness as you're either lonely or you're not lonely but talking about social loneliness talking about emotional loneliness i think was a really uh, a, a really interesting way to think about loneliness and how it can have those effects and what's more is the findings of those two weren't related i'm also really excited to see what these authors do next because they talked about what are the potential uh-huh. yep. mechanisms that transmit loneliness across generations and they said we can only speculate about this but talking about both the intergenerational behaviors intergenerational social integration and possible genetic heritability type factors as well even though they point to some research that shows that like as people age the genetic heritability factor tends to get less over time but just to think about how patterns develop in families that make them more and more potentially like have isolation Mm -hmm. as more present Mm -hmm. in the family across Mm -hmm. time. And I think studying that out and teasing that out will be um, an important next step. And I'm excited to see what they do with it.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, we alluded to this loneliness epidemic that has been in the media recently. I think that intergenerational transmission could be a real key to identifying and implementing interventions that can help improve this and i mean Mm -hmm. also keep in mind that the loneliness epidemic is in the u.s but this study was not done in the in the u.s so i think also i'd love to see a replication of this study in in the u.s um to see if we find similar outcomes results
2: yeah because i think i think part of what we know to be true about our culture is there's this increasing likelihood that um Uh, younger parents are less and less likely to live near their own parents and so as our family structures get more socially distanced um it it could also be a potential contributor to how this occurs over time i don't know if that's true for finland which i suspect is probably less true just even based on geographical area but i don't I don't know that um, but it could be that you lose um, multiple different kinds of networks as you relocate for different educational opportunities or employment opportunities um, and or kind of public transportation becomes more limited. Um, So I think I agree it would be really interesting to see what this looks like in an an American sample as well.
1: Yeah and considering the unique aspects of our culture and society both kind of geographically and culturally type work stuff yeah yeah
2: woohoo boo
1: Boo yeah finally time for good or bad advice where we talk about pervasive relationship advice about friends families and romantic partners did your parents or grandparents have a saying about love and marriage did you have a friend or romantic partner who said something about love and family that you thought was odd or maybe it just struck you as poignant Maybe you heard something about relationships in a movie or TV show that just made you think. This is the section of the show where we talk about that advice or those sayings. And based on science, mind you, decide if it was good or bad, as she
2: does so
0: love. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was going to jump in. I was going to oh, no, echo no. it. Sorry.
2: No. Good or bad. I was busy screaming scrolling down and seeing what was coming I know so I'm so sorry um I'm
1: sorry why don't we stay in the moment Sarah <laughs> um, if you have if you have if you
0: just throw shade at Sarah left and right I feel hard. I'm I mean, gonna leave this episode on. feeling
2: so freaking lonely <laughs>
1: <laughs> so sorry it was not the intention. oh my god Sarah Too late.
2: Sarah quick question quick question
1: Have I yeah. told mm-hmm. you how much I love you
2: Sure, 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 sure. I'm going to call my mom and see how lonely she's feeling and see where I'm headed.
1: <laughs> uh, Sarah's mom, get at her. Um, if you have been on the receiving receiving end of some relationship advice and you'd like us to talk about it, send it to us. You can leave us a message at 865-229-6775, email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com, or get on our social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We had it all at Attached Podcast.
0: And, and Patreon page. Don't forget about it. You can There's special ways you can give us a shout out about advice we should cover or not. I'm just check saying, it out. check it
1: out. Or go to pa- attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. While you're at it, please like and subscribe to our podcast. Share it with your loved, one, loved ones and leave a rating or review. So we really would like for you to share with your loved ones, Um, but we know that sharing a podcast about healthy relationships might be awkward, so we have come up with an example scenario to help you all spread the news. Jacob, would you like to be parent one or parent two?
0: Um, I'll be parent two.
1: Parent one. I have some great
0: news I want to share with you. Parent two. I cannot wait to hear about it. Please go on.
1: Well, I just finished this great new show called Sanditon. I was so happy I finally found time to finish it.
0: Parent two. Oh, this is great. I'm so happy you found the time. Did it end well? Would you recommend it? Tell me all about it.
1: Parent one. Well, honestly, it ended in a a bit of a cliffhanger, but I still loved it. And hey... Thanks for being so enthusiastic for me. I know it's silly, but like, I'm genuinely excited about finishing it. So, you know.
0: Parent two. <laughs> oh, for sure. I learned that capitalizing on people's good news is good for both you and the people around you. It can improve our relationship quality.
1: Parent one. Learned? Are you like attending secret classes I don't know about? Parent two.
0: No, no, no. I've just been listening to this incredible <laughs> podcast called Attached. It's so fun and so educational. Who knew that learning could be so much fun? You should really check it out.
1: Parent one. Wow. I love to Oh learn. my God. I... <laughs> I'll i just check it out. Wink. I really wish you um. guys could see Sarah Woods right now. Her hand is full on uh, her face. Trying to hide her face from who? I don't know. <laughs> Did you like that one, Sarah? Do you think that one
2: will work? Oh, my God. Uh, First of all, if you are a listener and you have made it through this far into the episode, I really appreciate it. (laughs) I really feel like um, you should know it's not odd to suggest podcasts at all. (laughs) people do this all the time right but an example example sure. dialogue yeah, yeah it's gonna help is always helpful definitely yeah you
1: know like you play. Love, yeah. that specific scenario sure. will always help sure, yeah, sure, role sure. play. yeah today's advice was suggested by a listener at sly fox ba or ba this listener wanted information to help people struggling from a distance and i think episode 15 about supporting um grieving people would be a really important episode to listen to But it also makes me think about ways to maintain supportive family ties from a distance so that when a crisis of any sort does arise, you have that strong family relationship to lean on. And we are just alluding to the fact that a lot of people nowadays live really a far Mm -hmm. distance from their family that they grew up in. So it could be particularly challenging to maintain those family ties. So with that in mind, we found an article by Modern Love Long Distance uh, website by Lisa McKay, called 10 Ways to Help Children Connect with Long Distance Family and Friends. So as always, we're not gonna have time to go through all of them, but we'll post this on the website so you can read all of them. Okay, so first one is visit when you can, and this goes both ways. It's important for grandparents and parents all of the family and friends to visit, as it is for children, to visit them. So going back and forth, visit when you can,
0: advice one, good or bad advice? Uh, good advice as long as you like your family, right? As right. long as it's not a toxic um, environment. I think if, I mean, the emphasis on the paper is maintaining and building great relationships uh, across long distance. Um, uh, both Chelsea and I's family live far away from us, and we really value the time we get to spend to them with them. But we're also pretty consistent of trying to like, okay, when how can we gauge the length of time that's good? And that's kind of a trial and error of saying like, okay, did we wear out our welcome or have we felt like, okay, it's ready for us to leave? So I think negotiating that, too, is a good thing to find out when you're when you're visiting people. You don't want to overstay your welcome. And you also don't want you, the visitor, to get like burned out and frustrated with your family, too. So it's about finding a balance.
1: And one thing I really like about this article is it's kind of emphasizing how, as a parent, you can help your child facilitate a relationship with family and friends long distance as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Sarah? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just really simple, good advice if you can afford it, depending on kind of the distance. Right. Um, this advice might be yeah. kind of more specific to people who are uh, financially more able to make this these trips back and forth. but. I definitely think there is a difference between connecting to people face to face and connecting to people electronically, and that could really be the case for kids, um, but also the people who love kids because they change so quickly, um, with in right. such a small amount of time. Um, so, yeah, I think that this can really help kids feel connected um, to people they don't see very often. Uh, so,
0: good advice. Yes. Good advice.
1: Um, The next one we're going to talk about is involve children in some, and this is italicized, some Skype or FaceTime calls. Make sure you involve children in some, but not all of your video calls. Consider making these kids included calls a regular part of your routine, maybe every second Saturday, and schedule these all family calls for times when your kids are not likely to
0: be too tired or hungry.
1: Good or bad advice.
0: I think this is good advice. I actually was thinking about it as an expectant parent whose grandparents, the grandparents and aunts and uncles of our future child will all live far apart. I like this idea of building it into a part of routine to make sure it's consistent and predictable because what we know from research is kids value, uh, predictability and stability. uh, And it also kind of gets them something I would think to look forward to. Uh, So I really like this advice. I think good advice.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's good advice. I um my in my own personal life, scheduling these calls would never work for me. So I think making sure there's some flexibility for busy families, for and for children who, if you made a plan to talk uh, via Facetime tonight, and they are yes, getting tired or they're hungry or they're just not in the mood, if you force those conversations with people that they don't, uh, maybe they don't connect with as frequently as you have in your life as a parent, that could really you know um backfire a little bit i think and so having a having flexibility in there to allow kids to connect and also not kind of if you're if it's been a few weeks um uh, before since you've connected with them last not forcing that conversation to go for like forever for hours be, be, yeah to make up for lost time it doesn't work that way for kids their um developmental capability to sustain attention for that long is not going to work
1: and what i like particularly about this article and we didn't have time to go into it is within this section they had advice for both the parents of the children and also the grandparents on the oh other yeah that's end important of the line mm-hmm um because it's it is a two-way street yes. where the parents uh, may need to prep the kids ahead of time remind them of like courtesy on video chat calls and also kind of prep the kids for like what stories do you want to tell grandma mm-hmm. and grandpa this week so they have something to to talk about mm-hmm. and also from the grandparent's side just patience that kids aren't that into like talking and don't necessarily get video um chat as mm-hmm. well so that um that's on here as well i just don't want to shortchange mm-hmm. it um, so it sounds like good advice but understand the developmental limitations of mm-hmm. it yes yes blog keep private family facebook or instagram accounts or write regular news letters. if you live far away from friends and family figure out some way you can help them feel connected to a little to the little details of your life not just the big
0: news so I'm going to say this is bad advice because I feel like it's just going to become more emotional labor for the potential female partner in the family, (laughs) right? Uh, You know, like, I kind of think that writing a regular newsletter about your family, blogging, or keeping a Facebook account just to keep people informed seems like an extra step.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, I feel like we don't need to burden uh, sure, if you have time and space to do this, but I, I just can't imagine like, oh, well, I'm going to sit down on a Sunday afternoon oh and write out this personal newsletter that I'm going to send. I just don't see that as a possibility. So if that's something you're really into and you want to do, great. But don't be like, I can just see this happening as like, oh, hey, Chelsea, I just heard that we should write a newsletter for our family <laughs> and send it out to them and uh, let's do that. And then it would be like, nobody's gonna have time to do that and nobody's really gonna, we're not that interesting, right. so nobody's gonna wanna <laughs> read it, so that's, that's what I think, so. Anyway, so that's for me. That's why it's bad advice.
2: Yeah, I fully agree. I don't. I also don't want access to anybody else's private Instagram account where they load all their pictures. Isn't that already what Instagram is? I don't understand. <laughs> so this, my reaction to this is not at all research based, to be clear. Uh, I am debunking this piece of bad advice based on my personal reaction that this is insane, um, and also we don't necessarily quite yet know the consequences of social media exposure to our yeah. young kids that if you are blogging all of these little details of their life and regularly sharing all of these pictures and videos of them on Facebook those things are permanent and um, your kid is not necessarily consenting to that which is you know fine to a yeah. point and also I'm not sure we quite know what the effects of that will look like in the next 10-20 years um, for kids whose lives have been so fully exposed online. So it sounds like Bad advice.
1: The one thing that it makes me think of is, you know, relationships aren't necessarily made in like these big news positive things that happen. They are kind of in these smaller Mm -hmm. day-to-day minutiae details that we share back and forth. And we kind of talked about that in the Capitalization podcast that we talked about, I don't know, like five episodes ago. So it does make me think that it's important to communicate somehow if we want to try and maintain and build these ties with family that lives across the country finding some way to communicate regularly with them maybe it is just like silly little updates or just like a text message but i do think like regular conversation and not just like once every six months oh this crazy thing happened um, or this great thing happened um, is important to try to find some ways to keep regular communication with family members
0: No, agreed. I think so too. Like the second part of that advice where she says, if you live far away, figure out a way to share little details. Important. Right. That doesn't need to be a family blog or another Instagram account or a newsletter. Nobody's doing that. Nobody's doing
2: that. I mean, oh my god, and if you are, oh god. (laughs) If you
1: are, we still welcome you to listen to the podcast.
2: (laughs) But I will not be reading your blog, so (laughs) I'm out.
1: (laughs) um send letters postcards cards or packages
0: i think this is good advice i think you know when you get something tangible from something from somebody in the mail i really appreciate that i don't know research that suggests this makes a difference one way or the other but i would assume that the intentionality and the thoughtfulness that we know goes into relationships that exist face to face i think can that could potentially be extended to relationships that are pretty much distance. If you got a little postcard from somebody that makes you feel yeah. so happy or when you get a random card, I don't know about y'all, but that just makes mm-hmm. me feel very thought of. And I even think back to, you know, um, last episode when we were talking about grief where the guest talked about, you know, getting cards from people that she didn't really know during that time really meant something to her. And I think this could be something similar as well.
2: Yeah. um, I, I will say, I mean, I think this is very Good advice. I think um, this can also be done pretty simply. I think. Um, I mean, I watch how my daughter reacts when she gets a piece of mail or a package. Or I mean, it doesn't matter what is in that thing. Something came to the door with her name on it. She's like, and she's equally as devastated when something comes to the door with my name on it. So, <laughs> um, uh, so it's it's a big deal, and she knows who sent it. And um, it can it's good practice right. for her to like read and and understand how addresses work and think about what she can send back. And I think about all. <laughs> Um, I think about all of the art projects that she comes home with. That, like, I just have to occasionally sneak into the recycling bin when she's like not looking. Right. I occasionally just package those up and just mail them off uh, because uh, the family that is far away don't get to necessarily see them. But I think this is a nice measure of relationship investment too. That it's this nice tangible way to demonstrate that something we know that's really powerful in grandparent-grandchild relationships is how they demonstrate their investment in that next generation and generativity in terms of um, passing on information and um, uh, their own experiences. And that can be really nicely done through books and um, cards and letters.
1: Yeah, and so like you're saying, not just the person receiving it, but also the, the, the sending. sender. Yeah. It, it, feels, it feels important to yeah. like... We'll have our kids Mm -hmm. mail um, cards or letters or, like you're saying, art that they want to send to their grandparents and great-grandparents means a lot and, and, and models for them thinking of people. Yes who aren't necessarily physically mm-hmm. here as well, well and gives them a tangible way to process. Yeah, and that.
2: you're right. The other way, too, that grandparents, um, that there's research that shows that the more generativity that they are um, have, that they're oriented towards passing on their life experience and life lessons to this next generation can really boost their health, their mental and physical health. So right. letter writing um, or sending stories in that way can be a nice little intervention to do that. Love it. Good advice.
1: These are just great examples of how to build those relationships, um, modeling for your children, for the other generation of family members who live across the country, maintaining those relationships. So if a, a, a crisis or something does come about, you have that strong support network, even though they may be across the country. Thanks for listening to Attached. Remember to call us, email us, tweet us about any relationship advice you've received that you're wondering whether to follow or pass on. We cannot wait to talk about it. Attached Podcast is written by Patricia Robertson, Sarah Woods, and Jacob Priest. Sound editing by Kylie Hubbard and and produced by Kylie Hubbard, Patricia Robertson, Sarah Woods, and Jacob Priest.